0: Yeah. This is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep. Never Welcome to the road to the Olympic Trials podcast. I'm your host Matt Chittam and this is the podcast where we take a deep dive into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic trials in Atlanta in February. And our special guest today, is Kerry Tollefson. Kerry is someone who is well-versed in all things running and was also on the broadcast team for both the Chicago and New York City Marathons. And in this episode, we recap both of those races from the American running perspective, both the men and the women, and we take a way too early look Engaging, gauging who could be a tough beat and what kind of tiers that we've set up for the people running the Olympic trials in February. Again, this was just a fun exercise between Carrie and myself. And I loved hearing her perspective on so many of the runners that not only we have we followed in this podcast series, but just some of the people who are well known as just some of America's best runners by the running populace. So... This episode is something that I'd love to do again as we get closer to race day. But in the meantime, thank you so much, Carrie, for hopping on and sharing your insight and wisdom. And now let's get to it. Hello, Carrie, and welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Matt. Pumped to be back on. Always fun to talk to you.
0: Oh, likewise. That's for sure. And I'm so excited to chat with you for so many reasons, but this is the first time. We've done an episode like this on the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast where we kind of take a 30,000-foot view of what the marathon landscape looks like, do some recapping of some recent big races... And just kind of take the temperature of how the Americans, both on the men and women's side, are doing in their kind of early stage preparation for Atlanta before they start their real big buildup for that race. So I guess before we get into it, I want to talk about the most important marathon experience that we've seen so far this fall. That was your 251 at Twin Cities. Look at you knocking on the door of an OTQ, Carrie.
1: Oh, yeah, that was the best performance by far out of anyone this year in the fall of 2019. So, yeah, I mean, hot stuff over here.
0: There you go. See, I, I was watching the both the New York and Chicago broadcast, and they kept re- referencing you on the motorcycle, following the runners. I think we actually know better. You were just actually out there running with the camera alongside all of these individuals. Yeah, because-
1: I didn't want to steal their fire, Matt. I didn't want to steal their fire.
0: You know what? I always knew you were a humble, modest person, but this just adds to that <laughs> bank of knowledge.
1: Yeah. Yeah, maybe in 16 years, I'll try for the world record. You know, I'll be spring chicken <laughs> that's 58 years old. <laughs>
0: so so this wasn't your first marathon, but obviously your expertise is in the shorter distances. But this, this buildup, and we're not going to stay too long on this subject, but I do, do find it interesting because I think it is nice – just to have, like, lay the groundwork for, you know, what did you feel like you gained out of this training cycle and race that gave you a better perspective as an announcer for this sport and for this event?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, anytime I think an announcer can practice what they preach, right, Um, it helps, it builds a story, it gives you a little perspective, and, you know, that's why I ran my very first marathon, was because I was really kind of getting into doing some of these bigger events and not just on the track or cross country or, or the shorter road races. It was a long stuff that I had never done. And so I wanted to run one and it was kind of perfect timing. It was right after I had my second baby and I had no expectations. It was just go out and have fun and feel what it feels like to run past 16 miles. Cause I didn't really do that much when I was training for a 5k. Um, and then this year, you know, I actually kind of, I got kind of fit I was thinking, you know what, I think I could break three hours and have some fun with it. I still wanted to be able to wave and say hi to people and high five and, you know, that kind of thing. But um, things came around pretty well. And I did learn a lot more about the sport. I I learned a lot more about the run, the fueling, you know, how to mentally stay in it and what really happens from 22 on, you know, and the first time around, everything went wrong. And that was really good for me. Uh, I needed to I needed to feel that I wanted to be able to speak on it and this time around it was a good race It wasn't a two twenty two race you know like i'm not I'm not anywhere close to being elite anymore but to say that I could break three hours and I got through those last few miles and my training runs were good, I did a couple hard workouts so yeah, long story short, it was good for me to have this you know another card to play basically
0: and how would you compare? that last part of the marathon where you're really digging hard and fighting through, um, you know, just, just the, the overall and all consuming fatigue and soreness and pain that, you know, you'd compare with some of the races that you've had at shorter distances where you've really been, you know, burning it up in the red zone.
1: Yeah. It's so different. You know, when you run a hard 5k or a hard 1500, it's a long sprint, you know, it's hang on for dear life. There's not a lot of room for error And not that there's a lot of room for error in the marathon, but you know, the racing really doesn't start until that last four to six miles. And everyone will tell you that you have to be careful. You have to fuel. like there's a lot of different things that go into the race um, of the marathon, but in the 5k in the 1500, it's, you make one mistake and you're kind of out, right. Or you really have to work hard to get back in it for that last lap or whatever it is. So it's a totally different ball game. But that being said, mentality wise, you know, you still have to be as hungry. You still have to be as driven. You still have to persevere. I mean, there's so many things that correlate that I could use from, you know, 10 years ago when I was really racing. Um, and I did use those. I, it was funny. I almost missed my family at the last stop that they were going to be at to cheer for me because I kind of went back there. I went back to the mode of racing and I got so focused that my husband had actually had to step out on the road and kind of wave at me like, Carrie, we're right here. Like your three children have been waiting for you to cheer for you and have you say hi and give them a high five. And I, I went there, Matt, like it's been a long time since I went back there and really like started to focus and and kind of dream a little bit and believe in myself and push through the pain. And it was really fun, like very weird, but fun.
0: Oh, that is awesome. And I could talk to you about this all day. I won't cause we have a jam packed agenda <laughs> that I know we both want to talk about, but that is so interesting. So, Before we get into, all right, what is the way-too-early thoughts on the Olympic trials and things that we can take from this fall, let's talk about both Chicago and New York City. Obviously, those are huge marathons every year, but you were there in person for both of these, not just simply the races, but also leading into the race and taking the temperature of the the, the athletes there and then also post-race. So, first of all, I guess with the women in Chicago. Um, We're just going to speak mainly here on how the U.S. women did. Obviously, there was a lot of storylines coming out of Chicago, but mainly speaking about the women, how did, I guess, just broadly speaking, how did the end results for the U.S. women uh, align with what you thought going into the race?
1: You know, I think it really, they kind of ran how I thought they were going to run, to be honest. Uh, And, you know, I want to say that I know how to pick every race, (laughs) because, you know, that's why I make the big bucks. Um, That's not the case. Uh, But I do think the way that those women ran, they all ran pretty solid races. I think some thought maybe they could, you know, squeak out a little bit better. But that being said, I mean, I thought Emma Bates was going to have a really good, solid day. I knew that she was focused. She has been, you know, having some good results leading up to Chicago. And, the way she ran, I think she is a huge threat for the trials. I think she's just starting to learn this race. She's only done two marathons. She ran 226 and was fourth overall. Like she had a really great day, but Steph Bruce, I love Steph. I just think, you know, her, her slogan is grit right now, or at least this year. And, um, you know, she sells shirts that say grit. And she had a gritty performance. She had a really bad stomach out there. I don't know if a lot of people saw. She had one of her YouTube videos talked about it. And, you know, to go through that where your stomach is super upset, she couldn't find the restroom, um, you know, things like that happen. And yet she still ran to what, 227, I believe. I mean, she still had a PR. So, you know, she's learning still how to deal with that. Wait, did she run 228, 227? I think 227, right?
0: Yeah. 227.47. I have Emma Bates here on my little sheet here as 225.27.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, they're right there. And I do think that those two were the ones that I kind of had my eyes on the most just because I thought Steph might have one of those days where she might pop a big one and run like a 225. But with her distress going on in her stomach, I still think she has room to grow. And that puts her right there at making that Olympic team. But Laura Thweet, like so fun to see her back and have a solid day. She didn't need to like knock it out of the park, right? She needed to go in and have a good race again because she hadn't in like two years. So those were the three big takeaways, but you know, give it up to Lindsay Flanagan, Taylor Ward, like Sarah Sellers had a great day, chipping time off. That's what she has to do. She knows she can race with the best after placing second in Boston. But now she's really getting that confidence that she needs. So I think the women did great in Chicago and they did it the right way. They just had solid days.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the I think what you brought up with Laura is so interesting because you had basically two, two person packs with the elite women um, or say, two, uh, you know, basically seven women who were right. In basically the same sort of cohort at the halfway point, right? The, the first group was Emma, Steph, and Lindsay Flanagan, all coming through at half around one twelve fifty-six or so. They're all kind of right packed next to each other, and the next group of Laura Taylor, Sarah, and Jennifer Bergman coming in at one fifteen flat. So a, kind of a big distance between those two groups. So Laura was, you know, in that second group, and then negative splits. Chicago and does it in a way that you're like oh wow like as you mentioned like she really needed or didn't need but it was nice to see her have that you know really solid performance and what do you take from you seeing that sort of negative split from her and also seeing again Emma Bates didn't ne- negative split um the the back end as much as say Laura did but both of them were able to separate from the group they were in at the halfway point
1: Well I kind of disagree with you Matt if I can Oh, please. (laughs) I think Laura needed that race. I think she needed it. I mean, yeah, she's had some races where she had some injuries that kind of, you know, got in her way of how she wanted to finish or if she did finish a race. Um, But I believe that she needed to finish that race and to run the way she did. She was smart. She ran conservative the first half. And then she came home hard. And that to me shows that she obviously is training well. It's going what she and Joe Bosshart are doing is working for the marathon. And I think that this now will fuel her so much more so than if she had two even races or two even halves and she ran like a 231. Like she needed to show everybody and most importantly herself that she could hammer hard in the second half, the most important half of the marathon. So, um, I do think she needed that. And I think it's going to be exciting to see how she, how she does in February. If she can stay healthy, that's the big thing for Laura is that she has to stay healthy. Now, Emma, on the other hand, for her to negative split, I think that just shows that she is, she definitely is still learning the sport or learning the the distance, but she has so much more room to grow. You know, I think that that's what that race showed is that she has, areas that she can still kind of play with. And it's going to be hard because she just has this one more opportunity now to race. And that has to be one of her best races in order to make our Olympic team. But I think in the marathon, you have to play. And so she's got to be careful in February, just get there. Um, But in her next marathon, where she can kind of push and, and see, you know, where her boundaries are and where her limits are, that will be fun to see.
0: Yeah. And she ran so well last year at CIM and it's so nice to just combine this race with that one. And just, it really elevates her at that kind of first tier level of U.S. marathoners.
1: Yeah. And how she ran, you know, in the 25K, I think it was, um, yes, or maybe yes, it was good point. I don't have
0: all of that in front of me. I know, right? There's so many sats. There's so many runners to keep track of. <laughs> Carrie, I know. We're, like, we're, we're doing this on like on the pre-call and we're like, oh my goodness. we got like, It's trying to, it's hard to keep, every, keep track of everybody because there's so many people who are running so well right now on both the men's and women's side.
1: Well, Ann, isn't there like something like over 400 women that are now qualified?
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my
1: gosh. It's amazing. It's awesome.
0: thoughts and prayers to the people who have to work those water stations in Atlanta. I mean, good luck trying to like get all the bottles in the right spots and all of that.
1: Oh, for sure. Like bottles, all these things. Oh my gosh. But I'm going to be out there working. So they have in Piedmont park, they're going to supposedly put like a big jumbotron up there. And then they're going to have myself and a few other people kind of doing live commentary. So I won't be on TV. I'll be doing, live commentary on site, which I think is gonna be amazing because I'm gonna to get to see every single runner come by me. But you know, I am just fascinated to see how this is all gonna work because it's I know the Atlanta Track Club's gonna get it done and they're gonna do it right, but it's just gonna be a really fun day.
0: Oh I know it's so true. Speaking of a fun day, Chicago with the men, what a fun day that was. Obviously there was two main storylines just for, the, for the, the general audience coming out of Chicago, it was how well Bridget Kosuke ran the women's race, which was absolutely, I mean, just awe-inspiring on a lot of levels. And then just the group of American men that ran and finished together almost the entire way until there was some separation near the end. What was that like to witness firsthand?
1: Yeah, you know, I didn't get to see the men's race because I was sitting in front of Bridget the entire time. Uh, but in the very first 5k, Bridget was in front of those guys. <laughs> right, <laughs> That is crazy. You know, I was actually very concerned. I'm like, what is she doing? She's running. She was on 210 pace for, I don't know, maybe 6k even. Um, but it was weird to see her in front of like Parker Stinson and Noah Drotti and and like, all these guys that I knew were trying to run like right around 210. Uh, it was mind blowing, but to see that group early on, you know, working so hard together. That's what I love about this country. And, you know, it's like that in other countries, but because we're American, it's fun to see how hard they work together and how excited they were at the end. Like they were pushing each other all the way to the finish line and, you know, high-fiving each other. And at the after um, party, I mean, just so thrilled that everyone had such a great day. And believe me, as a former competitor, you want to beat every single person, regardless if they're, they're your best friend or not but at the same time it's pretty it's it's pretty rewarding to know you helped somebody run so well that day. So bravo to the American guys there. Really cool.
0: I know and it's so funny cuz they, they ran so well and did such good teamwork and yet it's you know you think about it a group of people they're all so different from one another it really had like this cognitive dissonance around it because it was just as you mentioned it was so nice to see them come together but it wasn't as if they were just like this group monolith Going forward, right? You had people who have very different personalities and just the way they looked on the screen, you know, shorter guys, taller guys, you know, the flowing locks of a couple of these guys also. And it was just so funny. It was just so fun to watch them and to also see them come in at this specific level. Right. It's one thing to see people work as a group and try to get the best out of each other. But to see them all come in under 212, you know, 10 of them as a group or 11 of them as a group and also to come in at exactly the same time at the halfway mark and really just stick together. It really, you know, A lot of people have been talking about this 212 barrier of sorts for American men now for a while, using it basically to juxtapose the men with the women. And the women obviously have been doing so well. And just to see that get smashed was nice just because you know how hard these guys have been working and to just be able to, you know, Break that free from the conversation that's going out there and say, okay, you know, like everyone's killing it now. And this is just, it's nice to have a kind of a, a new, um, I guess, a new narrative surrounding the sport in a sense.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, I think that there's a lot of guys that are knocking at the door of becoming kind of a, on that A squad, right? Like you think of A squad, B squad at times, and they're all now knocking at being in the top five. Like you and I like to talk about basketball terms all the time. Um but I just think that the one thing that's really cool is you don't see a lot of the names that we've seen in the past in this pack from Chicago. You know, there's a few, you, We a lot of people know Andrew Bumbleow. I mean, he was track guy, you know, good cross country now moving up. And I mean, Parker Stinson, some people are really starting to remember his name or at least sticking with you people when they're thinking about, you know, who's in this race, who's going to be, po- you know, make the podium type thing. But, you know, to see these younger guys or these guys that haven't quite nailed one do it in such a fashion of working together. That was what I really liked. I really thought it was cool to see so much teamwork. And and yeah, you're right. Anytime you break two twelve, I mean, come on, you're right there to to make some US teams and to, you know, put a dent in the world of running.
0: You know, no doubt about it. And I love seeing Brendan Gregg come through with this group too. Seeing him near the front in a lot of marathons, especially early on. Also, in addition to that, just the family connection as well with Caitlin Gray Goodman being his sister and having two of them. You know, I know that she battled some stomach issues at New York, but she's been coming back well from a hamstring injury last fall. Just to see the the you know the siblings going into Atlanta, hopefully at the peak of form as well, that would be kind of a fun storyline as well.
1: For sure. And think of that conversation at home at night. I mean, not that they're still, you know, eating <laughs> around the same dinner table, but maybe at Thanksgiving. Think of that conversation of how fired up they're going to be and, uh, you know, just getting to February together. Oh, I would love that. That would be
0: so much fun. It's, it is it is great. All right. So before we get into New York, let's talk about a topic that I think a lot of us who follow the sport um, think about. But it's hard to really gauge. It's, it's really kind of a subjective question, which is basically trying to compare New York and Chicago. We know it's not an apples to apples comparison, but at least the weather was fairly similar or at least not a huge variable in the calculus of trying to compare these two. How do you personally compare the times between, um, those two races?
1: Oh, I mean, I would like to say it's probably four to six minutes slower for a female. Maybe that's too much. Maybe it's four minutes. Um, and on the men's side, maybe three. I don't know. Is that too much? Am I giving it too much? But I just think New York is really tough. And this was the first year I was on the lead vehicle, so I actually got to see the entire course. And even though there are times where you think, "Well, how? It's not that hilly," um, you know, you see that how hard those those uh, bridges are, and it's windy, and so there are you know some definite factors that play in that Chicago doesn't quite have. Now that being said, this year Chicago was. It was a nice day to run, but it was windy and it was cold. And um, the elites thought it was okay, I think. They felt like it was a good day. But being on the back of a motorcycle, I suffered. And when, <laughs> you know, I'm, not, I, I'm tough, Matt, but I still feel, I felt the weather that day in both places. And I thought Chicago was worse than New York.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of people have talked about the wind in New York as well, just like you did. And I'd heard pretty similar estimates that you just gave. Basically, it being kind of like two to three minutes, more closer to the two side for the men and around three-ish minutes for the women. Because you're basically talking about like a percent of time. That's why there'd be a gap for the men and the women, just because the men are running a little bit faster than the women are. And that was a reason I bring that up is because when you see... You know, basically the times for the best marathoners, men and women, so far, kind of in this marathon cycle the past 18 months or so, you're going to see a ton of, especially on the men's side, a lot of Chicago marathon times as opposed to not as many New York times. But when you see, you know, Jared Ward coming in with a 2.10.45 in New York, even more amazing was the Abdi Abdi Rahman finishing time of two eleven thirty four, And I can't wait to talk to you about him and Bernard Lagat and how they fit into this picture, but even more so like Des and Kellen coming in almost simultaneously, you know, you know, in the later stages of two twenty six, 26. And like, what, what does that mean in comparison? I just, I see the people at the top of these lists, Jared Abdi, Kellen and Des and be like, these times stack up with anybody this year.
1: For sure. I mean, when, it, like you said, it's not apples to apples, but I think that we didn't see anyone in Chicago run any better than we did in in New York. It's just the times don't quite relate, but I do think uh we're gonna see a huge pack on both the men and women's side at the trials like that's what I kept thinking is especially on the women's side, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's gonna be twenty women that are right there until you know things really get heated, and then it's somebody's going to have to blow it open but um. Yeah, I think the big thing you just said, like, how how far down are we going to have to go for the men? Like, to see Obdi run 2.11? Come on. Like, he's my age. He's been around forever. Um, But he ran phenomenally. Like, that is brilliant running. And, yeah, we have to talk about Bernard because he just ran a great one in August, right? Was it August in Australia? Yeah,
0: I mean, these two, if you're, if you're talking about the Atlanta course and you're talking about a huge field, a slower time. And it's going to come down to maybe some strategic moves at the end of a race. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about, you're looking at like the Des Linden's of the world, the Abdi's, the Bernard's, you're like, you know, who has more experience just racing than some of these people and how much of a factor will that play in those situations?
1: So this is the big wild card. I mean, obviously we, we haven't talked about rep yet. He is the guy, I think a lot of people are wondering how he's going to do. If he can finish the race, I think he... Is head and shoulders pretty much above right now what we, you know, he's, he's the best guy to watch for, right? But Lenny Career running 207, running at sub 208, 207.56, I have loved this guy since I started watching him race. Like He won um, the NYC half a number of years ago, coming right out of college. Nobody even knew who he was but he was an NCAA champion, but we weren't expecting him to run that well in the half. And there was another guy named Wesley career and we were getting it mixed up because we were like, no way is it Lenny it's Wesley. And they had career on their, on their chest and we were getting it all screwed up. And now, I mean, you can from now looking, or when I was looking back at that thinking how he won that half that young, it does, it just makes total sense that he's going to be this phenomenal marathon runner, but he has such a kick, Matt. I don't know if you've really seen some of his races where he throws down a kick, now, he's the guy you have to watch because he can kick with Rupp. And I know the marathon doesn't always bring out a kick, but it could. And if you're going to put Lenny Career next to somebody like Rupp or Bernard, I have to go with Lenny because he's so fresh. He's in his prime. He's you know right there racing all sorts of different distances. He's been pretty healthy. He had a little bang up last year. But that is the guy that I think people need to start talking about and people need to start watching.
0: Absolutely. And and I've seen, I think Jonathan Galt did a really nice recap of the men's and women's fields this early in the process over on Let's Run. And, you know, I think reasonable people can differ on opinions, especially, you know, in regards to things like this. And he basically had, he had you know, kind of, he had Rupp at number one, kind of assuming health, basically. And then he had like the next tier was career, Ward and Fobble, kind of all in line. Uh, which I thought was interesting because you know, they have such different – it's funny. It's hard to compare people sometimes because they've all had such different buildups and, and results over the past couple of years. But obviously Jared battling um, Scott a couple of times now has been just so interesting. But it's hard for me to take Abdi out of that mix if he's going to be healthy because you know here he is running this 211.34 out of nowhere. I mean, he ran 2.12 like two years ago. And I think that just kind of like almost like reshuffled the deck in a way. Cause if you like, if he's going to be in the mix, then this, this really is going to be an interesting field.
1: Well, what I like about Abdi is he always trains with people that I feel like are elevating his game all the time. He trained with Steven Sambu for years and I'm not sure how they lined up before New York. Cause I was on the women's side again, but Steven was seventh in, I think one of his first, if not his first marathon. Um, and he ran two eleven eleven. 11, So, Abdi, you know, obviously can play off of people that you've trained with or are currently training with. And that's the one thing about Abdi. If I can get critical and if I can analyze and Abdi knows I love him, but he is his biggest competitor and it could be cold. It could be really cold in February in Atlanta. They have all kinds of different weather there. And Abdi is not a cold weather guy. So he has got to be super smart. Take all these years of racing and running and he has to be super smart with how he enters this race and you know he's the first guy to kind of give great advice and to talk about all the the stuff that he's learned but uh i really hope that he doesn't beat himself before he even gets to the line without thinking about everything you know if it's a 30 degree morning or a 32 degree morning he has to stay warm he's a slight guy he doesn't have a lot to him to keep him warm and that for me, he's had all these years and all these, all this experience and he is so talented, but he has to think about every single thing going in. Cause he doesn't have that youth to kind of just, you know, pull him through like some of these other guys.
0: And, you know, so if you kind of keep that top level of, um, that we just mentioned the top tier of Galen career, Fauble, Ward, would you put Bernard Lagat in that mix or would you put him kind of in the next group down of like kind of like who knows who's going to come out of this group?
1: Well, I think Bernard has a new kind of like excitement about the sport, right? Like he totally was a track guy. He rarely even ran a 5k on the roads. Like, I mean, he just kind of went straight now in the last couple of years to just trying different things and he's having fun. So to me, that's a big threat. When somebody's just out there having fun, what does he have to lose? Nothing absolutely nothing. You know, he, he's probably grandfathered in with Nike. He probably has this, you know, forever contract. Uh, he, so I just feel like for Bernard, it's fun for him. He could make another Olympic team at a totally different distance. And, you know, it's, that's exciting. And I think that's a really fun thing for him to have, but you know Jared Ward, Scott Fobble, those guys are so driven because it's their first Olympic team that they're going for. oh not Jared sorry Jared's made his Olympic team, but they're they're young they're still going for things they have a lot of drive behind them and for sure Scott having it be his first Olympic team, I think they have to remember that Bernard is in the race, but I do think that their mind is more so on I gotta get I gotta make this team it's all about what I'm doing rather than everyone else.
0: I want to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Inside Tracker. Listen, when it comes to diet and nutrition, it seems like there are a million voices in the wilderness, all just screaming out. It's hard to understand what to think about nearly any kind of food. And that's why personalized nutrition can be so helpful and valuable. And the key to doing that is getting your blood work done, seeing where you are on a biomarker scale, and you can optimize exactly what your body needs. And that's exactly what Inside Tracker does. They track up to 43 different biomarkers. They've optimized zones specifically designed for you. And also, they have science backed recommendations for different ways where you can improve different markers and your levels. So give inside tracker a try. It's such a valuable resource. Listen, all the top athletes in the world, they get their blood work done and they have professionals taking a look at it to make sure that they're on the right path. Shouldn't you be able to do the same thing? So use code rambling runner to save 10% on inside tracker today. Now, outside of these these people that we've mentioned already, there's a huge group, almost like two dozen guys who are, you know, relatively equal if all things, you know, all things being equal. They're all kind of in that same level of like, it's hard to predict who's going to run, you know, better than another guy on a specific day. Is there a certain person or people that you have a particular fondness for who might run well in the Olympic trial setting or on that course or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I mean I really like how Parker Stinson's been training and just his excitement. I think after he set the American record last year, it gave him a new kind of title to his career and also just a new like eye-opening experience to hey, I want to have that those kind of things on my resume. I want to be known. And I do like how he takes an approach of just hammering hard and going for it and being daring. And because it worked in Chicago, I think that was really good for him. You know, he's had a couple races where he's blown up. He's tried to go out super hard and it didn't work for him. And because he kind of nailed it in Chicago, I think that's really going to give him an extra boost going into the trials. I like Matt Yano. I always have. I think he's very talented. Uh, oh, again, you stole
0: think- mine, Carrie. You stole it. That's oh, what I was going to use.
1: Yeah. Matt yeah, is a good friend. He needs to train here and, in Minnesota. And I do, I think he's super talented. I think he has to stay healthy. Um, and that's hard, you know, he's had some injuries, but he's very, very good. And he has had his, a couple good marathons, but I still think he has a big one and that could be his day. Um, and last but not least, I mean, I'm just going to give you three. There's a lot of guys that I could mention, but I love Diego Estrada. I know that he was, you know, back further in that pack in Chicago, But hearing him talk outside of the press conference that day and hearing he he and Coach Hill talk about the plan, and again, their plan was to have a solid day. It wasn't – they weren't going to do anything crazy in that race. He's been putting together some really good workouts, and he really has a passion to wear the USA across his chest. And um, I just think that that's that's a guy we got to watch for. I think he's a good story.
0: Absolutely. And I like the I think there's a, a strong comparison with what happened this fall between Parker and Matt Yano in terms of getting that monkey off their back, so to speak. I know Matt ran really well at CIM. It didn't go his way uh, near the end of that race, kind of in heartbreaking fashion. But he's run really well a lot of times. But it just hasn't had like the his career hasn't had the fluidity I guess that you'd expect if you just looked at the times in isolation. And having that performance he had in Berlin of 2-11-14 obviously was excellent It really sets him up well um, moving forward. All right, so let's talk about the ladies. You mentioned before how you're you're excited because you see this huge group and you're you know it's, how will this break out? So we talked about tiers with the men. So how would you if you could do a tier one? How would you segment it, Um, not only in terms of potential, but where they are right now?
1: Oh, my gosh. Let me just count how many I have. One, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. And I'm missing some. I know I am. That's how many people I have for my favorites.
0: <laughs> oh, my <laughs> goodness. There a- we need to. We need, we need, we need- is, is, and that's amazing, but completely understandable because there gets a point where like, where do you draw the line?
1: I know. And I still think there's names that I don't even have listed here that are those dark horses, right? Well, I have three dark horses, but I mean, and that's not including the 13 that I just counted for my favorites. Um, <laughs> I just, that's 16 women already that I just quickly wrote out and I, you know, know I'm missing people, but uh um, There's so many women that are right there in between that 222 to 226 that I just feel like it's anybody's day. And most of them have not been on the Olympic team. However, there's a number that have, and they're still kind of, there's still a fire. I don't know if there's quite as much fire, but I think they have enough talent to get there. So it's a very different, it's almost like the veterans versus the newbies and who's going to have the most heart that day.
0: Exactly. 100%. And unlike the men, where just about all of the men, save for Galen, had some sort of, you know, marathon related, except for, I shouldn't say, Galen was injured and then Scott Fauble, you know, just chose not to run a marathon this past fall. But the vast majority of them did run one and completed one, whereas with the women, it's a very different picture. There's a lot of like, I wonder how it's working with them or they just had a very different scheduling perspectives uh, across the board. And I feel like I don't know how you were framing it for you. But when I look at it, I, I look at someone, say, like Amy Craig and be like, all right, well, where where do I put her in this mix? Um, and then I feel the same way about like Jordan Hesse. You know, you know, in terms of, you know, how healthy will she be? How well has she been doing? And obviously you there's only so much you can know in regards to that. But you know, trying to figure out exactly like I'm not even sure what I think about them in terms of their current level or where they'll be in the future, never mind comparing them to other people.
1: You're so funny because okay, so I cheated a little bit. I texted both Jordan and Amy yesterday. And I just said <laughs> Quick hey, Doing a podcast tomorrow with Matt and I just wanna know how are, how things are going. Cause randomly Jordan texted me, Jordan to say, when I was in New York and she was like, just catching up on a bunch of podcasts. And she didn't know when we were in Chicago that I had just run my marathon. So she was like, My goodness, Carrie, it was you know, I was so focused and it was all about me and you were talking to me about my racing and she was like, I just wanna say good job. So, you know, just so kind. But um, she got really injured. In the marathon in Chicago, like it wasn't just a cramp. She completely tore her hamstring, oh
0: my and goodness. they
1: were looking into surgery. And then they just did aggressive rest. And she said she's pain free, and she is running. She's having another MRI on Thursday to see how far she can or how much she can start pushing. But she said, you know, she has every intention of making the team in February, and she's just so thankful that her pain is going away and that she thinks she's healing up without having to have surgery. But that. Like right when I saw that word, when I was in New York, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's done like surgery. And now, you know, a week and a half later, she was saying she's feeling better and she's actually been running and she's excited again. So pretty cool. Uh, and Amy Craig says she's back at it too. She's been out working out. She has taken a different approach. She said she's going to take a longer, but slower buildup. And so she's hoping that will keep her healthy. So, you know, interesting to hear that. She's just going to do a different approach and that she still is so fired up and ready to hopefully make, I believe, her third Olympic team.
0: Right. And it's so interesting because we. it's I feel like there's so much more variance with some of these some of these women in terms of what they're capable of doing and what they've done in the past. Right. Like Amy ran two twenty one in Tokyo in 2018. In February, 2018, All right? So you see 221, like on the men's side, we're like, oh, if there's a four minute difference between two of the marathoners, we'd probably be like, oh, there really isn't much of a comparison here. But I look at her and then I look at- That's what we kind of are doing
1: with Rupp, right, Matt? Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. that's what we kind of do with Rupp.
0: That's a good Just point. Just
1: because he's run so much faster, we're like, well, he's kind of a given. Well, you know, and it's same with Amy. If she can stay healthy, she sort of is one of a one of those givens, but, you know, it's the marathon. Anything can happen.
0: No, that's that's a great point. And I, I appreciate you correcting me because you're absolutely right. But I look at like I was gonna say her compared to Emma Bates, and it's like we know we just talked about her. You know, she is as strong, you know, as anyone right now in terms of how she's running and how will it translate. Another one in terms of figuring out, all right, what is she capable of doing is Emily Sisson. Right? I mean, she's run one marathon, she's crushed it, she's crushed every distance she's raced at. I had the privilege of watching her train when I worked at worked at PC. Actually, my office like overlooked the track. Like those were great days. Watching her and Molly Huddle work with Ray. And you know, it, it, what, you know Emily Sisson, I feel like, is capable of just about anything. And, you know, but with only one marathon under her belt. That seems to be like the, the wild card portion of this. So how, you know, when you think about her and her prospects, what are some of the things that immediately come to mind?
1: Emily is, I just think of how tough she is. She has always been somebody that I thought was going to be super talented and um, sort of a legend in the sport. And she's becoming one. I mean, you know, when, when, she, when she laces up, rarely do you ever see her have an off day. She is that mentally tough. She's that physically prepared, she doesn't race when she knows that she's not one hundred percent, and I think that's smart. I mean, not a lot of people know that about themselves, right like so many so many times we think we need to toe the line all the time and just show our sponsors and show our coaches and show everybody else that we're still here. Well, Emily Sisson is confident enough, and she is such a beautiful human being, like she just is so kind, she's so nice, she's quiet, confident, like she knows herself and she lets her running, do the talking. And I just think that she, if she's there February 29th, you know, she's ready to roll. She's not going to put herself in a position to not make that team. And, um, I think it's been smart. Like we have seen her now pull out of, I think it was the 5k at New York. She was going to race and she had a little niggle, but it did stop her from training. She's just not going to go and push it in races that don't quite mean as much her this year because it's the Olympic year. So uh, I think Emily Sisson, yes, has got to be clearly one of the favorites, if not the favorite.
0: Yeah, I remember talking to to Ray several years ago about Emily. and This is when she was at PC. I think she was this was her senior year, and I, I re- recorded a, a podcast while she was a senior uh, for for Providence College, and. I remember talking to him. He goes, Oh, you haven't seen anything yet. And he said it with his typical Irish brogue. I go, What do you mean? Like she's she's absolutely dominating the NCAA field right now. He goes, Oh, just wait. He goes, Her best race will be the marathon. We're not going to rush her in any way. Uh, we're gonna make sure that we do this the right way because we don't want her to get injured. He goes, But that woman can run, you know, her marathon pace and that kind of faster pace forever. She doesn't get tired, her top end speed isn't. You know, he didn't say this, but, you know, Molly Huddle type top end speed necessarily at the time. But he said, like, this was her gift and that once she gets there, she's going to be really, really tough to beat. I'm never going to forget this because this was like four years ago when he told this to me and he was absolutely right. Well,
1: I think we're going to see like with her, you know, like just seeing how she races and her form and her economics. Like um, she will she will run a hilly course, I think, really well you know, sometimes, and there's a lot of people that listen to your podcast. So I don't want them to like, you know, think that, like, listen to what I'm going to say, and then just like put that in their training log and like, look at it because it's a (laughs) negative thing. But I think when you're kind of a shuffler, like Emily Sisson is, and you're running or like Des, um, Emma Bates, like somebody uh, that's a little bit more lower to the ground, running a hilly course does well for them over the marathon. When you're somebody that has a lot of bounce and a lot of air underneath their feet when they're they're running it can be tough on those those hills so i think that it's going to help her emily being the type of runner she is she is a metronome right she just goes 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 and i think that's going to help her over over a hilly very technical and challenging course
0: yeah and I feel like each each person here in these top 10 or so women is like their own different story. And, I, and part of me can like easily construct a narrative where they make the Olympic team, like without any difficulty. And one of them is Molly Huddle who has, like, just lit the world on fire at so many different dis- different distances uh, on the track. And-, and she is obviously so talented, hasn't got that elite marathon win that maybe some of these other people have, but is by no means in a different class than the people we've already mentioned.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, she's podiumed in New York. Like, she... You know, even on a bad day, like it wasn't her great a great day for her in London, she still had a solid day. You know, she still could pull it together. And in a marathon, we've seen plenty of times where it's just gone all to you know where. Like people just fall apart and it's done. You know, she did not have a good day and she told everybody she didn't have a good day, but she still broke 230. She still pulled it together. I think she ran 227 228. Um you know, she is so talented and very much, I think, at this point in her career where she wants to nail it and then maybe move on or take a take a break from it. You know, we've heard her in different podcasts and in different interviews. I mean, you know, she's she's getting up there and she's devoted a lot of time to it. So, um, yes, for sure Molly Huddle will be the one. And I'm not saying that, you know, she's somebody that's coming from the track and has such great like, turnover and speed. I think she'll handle the course fine, but I do think someone like an Emily Sisson might prefer a hilly course over someone like Molly Huddle.
0: Right. Do you think that Molly would have a some level of advantage in say the last, you know, mile or last 2K, if it's if they're if they're still together, knowing what knowing her her amazing track background, which is kind of unparalleled in this group, in terms of like basically trying to streak to the finish?
1: Yeah, I do. I think that she sets herself self up for any 5K or 10K where you see her at about 2K start to take off. And so you picking that that point in the race in, in, in your question, um, I think that is her turn on point, right? So she gets to 2K and she's like, ah, here it is. This is my wheelhouse. This is what I do. And I think for years, she has practiced that mentally, whether she's doing circles on the track or she's on the roads to setting herself up to just grind it out and hammer home. So I think for Molly Huddle, like that for sure has is something it's like, it definitely is uh, a card that she likes to show at the very end of the race. Amy Craig kind of has the same thing. Like she, she kind of has a point in her race where I always tease, but she sticks her tongue out and she goes, she's like Michael Jordan, right? Like you saw Michael Jordan do it all the time. Like she does the same thing. She gets her tongue. It kind of comes out. Jordan Hasse does the same thing with her tongue, but when you see it with Amy, that's when you know the racing's begun for her. And she's really tuned out everything else, and it's all about, you know, her own race. You know, Sarah Hall knows how to how to finish strong. Kellen Taylor's just a grinder. She loves to feel that pain. I mean, I think that's just what drives her in life. I mean, she's a firefighter for crying out loud. Like, you know, she wants to feel the pain, deal with it, and show everybody she can handle it. There's just so many things. Sally Kipiego knows how to kick on the track. All these people know how to use those, that real pain from the speed. And now they've built up this endurance and it's just such a threat that they have.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was all, everything you just said. And I love it. I love how you're comparing them in, in that sense. And what do you think of, you know, looking at Alephine, Staff Bruce and Kellen Taylor coming together, working with the same coach, running together every day. Obviously, they're not going to run exactly the same splits and times and workouts. And Ben Ben Rosario, their coach, will coach them individually. But they are a team. They are a group. What do you think of that, just that dynamic?
1: Oh, I think it's great. I mean, you've seen that now in all kinds of different races where, you know, whether it's the Kenyans, Ethiopians, you know, whoever, they work together and you know, it just brings a sense of calm when you have your teammates out there, whether it's for the first eight miles or the first 20, you just know the plan. I'm sure most of them know each other's plans. Um, you know, obviously coach Rosario has each and every person, you know, in his office or wherever talking about their individual plan for the race. But I do think they do talk as a team and they build off of each other and they're excited for each other. So again, they're going to want to kick each other's butt, right? I mean, that's the whole point. But working together is such a benefit that they have that a lot of the athletes don't have around them.
0: And one person that we haven't mentioned, which I'm sure we can extend this tier even farther, but one person we haven't mentioned, which is certainly in this tier, is a person that you interviewed just before New York is Des Linden. And I'll tell you, she took sandbagging to a whole nother level in that interview because I remember listening to that and being like, you know what? I'm sure she's going to run as hard as she can in New York, but it didn't come off as if she was like, I'm going to go kick some serious butt in New York. And then that's exactly what she did. And I remember being like, "She just totally sandbagged you in that interview. I was laughing after the fact because she was so fit and she ran so well. I love her. I just love her. I just think she's been
1: so good for our sport. But so this is what happened. The te- my, my camera went out or like the technology went out on my cart or whatever smart car in New York. So I didn't see anything from three miles till about 11. And all I know is we, so we just couldn't hear anything back at the studio. So no, I couldn't hear any programming or whatever. And so we were watching Roberta Groner because they were doing a piece on her. So we were sitting there and I looked and I thought, did I just see Des like leading the race because they were, you know, a good two, three minutes up. And we finally caught back up at about 11 and there she is leading this whole dang thing. And she had just whipped her glass. She laughed at like 5k. She whipped her um, gloves off at me before we lost power. It was my one and only on camera. And here comes some some gloves flying at me. My hair is blowing everywhere. It was such a mess. Um, but she was having fun early on. Like she was loose. And I think what happened in that race was it was slow. And she knows that she can't let it go slow. Like she's a great athlete, but she is a, you know, she's a steady Eddie or she's, she negative splits. And she's at a, this point in her career where, again, like Bernard Lagat, like I was saying, what does she have to lose? You know, she doesn't know if she's going to run the trial. She hasn't announced it yet. Um, I don't know which way I think she'll go. Uh, but for her to win New York City, that would be an awesome thing. So she went for it. And yeah, I'm not surprised that she pushed the pace. But I am a little surprised that she kind of dogged it a little bit on in the interview. Stinker! Oh,
0: man. I know. She really got you. She got all of us. I think all of us were like, oh, she okay.
1: She was mad at me because I was asking her about how she ran Philly. And she did not like that question.
0: <laughs> no, she didn't. No, that's, no, that is pretty funny. But you had to ask, of course, and you guys knew. Each other. I did, it was um, teasing, but whatever. <laughs> so you mentioned that you had three dark horses. I don't know if we've already talked about any of them on the women's side, but did you have? Uh, I guess who who were they? And this, let's uh, let's talk about them.
1: Okay, so I I don't even know if I should call her a dark horse because she has been legit this year. Roberta Groner, Groner, I love her. I think she, you know, it would be so fun to see her make a team. She's worked so hard, both on and off the track. She's been through things in life. You know, everyone can relate to her story. That's our age, right? Like, we understand how hard it is to try to work and run and raise kids and do all that. Um, So she's one of my dark horses. I feel bad kind of saying dark horse. I think, you know, I have Gwen Jorgensen down there. And what the heck? How can you call an Olympic medalist, a gold medalist, a dark horse? but we just haven't seen it. And she was one that I text yesterday. She used to train with me a little bit in the fall when she was in, Ma- in Minnesota. And, you know, I think that if she can stay healthy and she toes the line and she, I don't know, just runs a smart race, I think she could be up there. Um, it's, it's a, it's a tough one to call with her. And then I have Allie Kiefer. I think Allie, if she can have a solid, solid training block, she has a lot of drive and a lot of things that go on in her in her brain and in her heart. And I think if she has a good day, we'll see her. But Nell Rojas is my fourth. I guess I have four. I think Nell Rojas is- You're just stealing my left
0: and right. When you said Allie, I'm like, all right, I got mine still in the bank.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, but Nell, I think I saw her in New York. She ran the 5K and you know she ran as well as she was going to. She's not a 5K athlete. She is a marathoner. She's somebody that can handle the pain a lot longer than most people and things are going well, she says. So- I saw her run in, um, in Duluth at the grandma's marathon and my goodness, is she tough and is she strong? So those are, those are my dark horses.
0: So do you, th- what do you put the chances at Gwen, um, running the trials relatively healthy?
1: She says she's healthy.
0: Oh, um, great!
1: I believe okay. her. I don't think she would tell me differently. I think she's doing some different things. Like she's on the alter G Uh, I'm not sure if she's still doing as much biking, but I think what Gwen, if I can, again, get a little critical and analyze, like for me, I feel like if Gwen can just remember the athlete she was before she came into just running, she is so good at knowing how to cross train. And that's not even the right word because it's not really cross training. It's doing her, you know, like her craft of being on the bike and in the pool she knows how to do that much better than any one of us. And I think that if she can incorporate that and if Jerry can listen to me trying to tell Jerry Schumacher how to um, coach an (laughs) Olympic gold medalist, (laughs) but just by watching Gwen, the years that she was here, she is so talented and she gets so fit so fast that they have to be very careful with her. And so hopefully they're doing with doing that with her now. And the good thing for Gwen is she's run very well in the 5k and the 10k. So if she doesn't, quite get there in the marathon, she still has a, other opportunities to make the Olympic team in, in track and field. So,
0: you know, for sure. And I, I love that with Nell Rojas as well, who was, you know, who, you know, has done a lot of work in triathlon, who's very strong. Um, He actually has that, that also that running lineage with her dad being a really good runner as well. And, you know, and you talked earlier about that hilly course and maybe the challenges it can provide, you know, she's as strong, if not stronger, physically as anyone in this race and again she's not necessarily you know like the the you know the best odds to win it or anything but if she continues to train well she ran two twenty eight oh seven at grandma so low 228 which is on par with a lot of people we just talked about
1: yeah for sure and I think Allie Kiefer too you know she's a lot like Nell Rojas the only thing I did love about Allie in our conversation when I had her on my podcast was that she was already talking about the track and right when she started doing that, I was wondering, you know, are, are her wheels turning because she hasn't had quite the buildup she wants this fall and last year. Um, so I hope that she understands she still has a lot of time and she still put in a lot of really good work, even though New York didn't go the way she wanted it. She still has a lot of solid work in her. Now it's just making sure she puts it together and nails her timing. But um, we haven't talked about Sarah Hall. I mean, like thinking about everyone we've mentioned, we have mentioned so many people, but Sarah Hall. I like that she had an off day. Is that crazy to say, Matt? But I really like that. She pulled out in time. She has to go home and rest. And I think she was ready to rest and doing the double five weeks in between or whatever it was. Um, I think now she's going to go home and really recover and then just still fly high off of what she's been doing and, and have a solid race in February too. So my goodness, there are so many people.
0: <laughs> it's so true. You no, know, you mentioned Sarah Hall because, you know, Roberta Groner did kind of the similar double, different marathons, but something very similar. Um, but Sarah Hall also intermixed some other races in there, which was, again, it was awe-inspiring to see. But I think you're right on the money with what you just said. And and I appreciate you saying it because I was almost going to go there, but I was like, ah, I backed off. and And you're absolutely right because I think that, you know, there isn't, an enormous amount of time between New York city and the trials. So especially considering how hard she has worked and raced in recent months, I definitely don't see it as a negative. What happened in New York? That's for sure.
1: No. And you know, I think that it, it probably wasn't even that she couldn't uh, physically run the race super well again. I think that Sarah traveling. So she traveled from Berlin home back to California and then or I mean to back to Flagstaff sorry they're not in California anymore they're in Arizona but she went to Flagstaff picked up two of her girls and they came to Minnesota and it was you know rainy and cold the Saturday that they were here it was pretty chilly the day of the 10k or 10 mile and then she had to go home quick get a couple weeks of solid training in and then get to New York and it probably wasn't even so much the training that got to her it was probably being in airplanes and just you know being on different sleep patterns and That's why I think she probably didn't feel real well. It's just more so like physically got a little sick. And so she's human. Things like that happen. And like, I'm so glad it happened to her at New York and not at the trials.
0: Oh, absolutely. I completely agree with you. That makes so much sense. Thank you so much for coming on this show. This has been an absolute pleasure. The one person we didn't mention whose times are right in the middle of all of these women that we just spent so much time discussing and talking about is Shalane Flanagan, whose times are right there in the middle with these top women. You and her have done such a good job broadcasting this fall. Thank you so much for everything you're doing in the running community. It is so greatly appreciated.
1: No problem. We love it. We love bringing the, the stories. We love bringing the excitement, you know, it's just a wonderful sport to be a part of. And hopefully I can keep on broadcasting and keep on speaking all over and, you know, sharing my love of the sport. It's been amazing.
0: Carrie, thank you so much for hopping on the show. This was so much fun. Also, thank you to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. If this is your first time hearing the podcast, I'd go back and take a listen to some of the episodes. I would say that so many of these have delved into not only post-race recaps, which we've certainly done, but also taken a look at the training uh, leading into them. And we're going to continue to do so. So in the upcoming episodes, we're going to get post-race recaps from Lou Serafini, Kellen Taylor, Jared Ward, all from New York. We've already heard uh, from John Ranieri and Roberta Groner following their New York City races. Also, we're going to hear from Stephanie Flippin, who recently raced at Monumental. And then we're going to hear from a variety of other guests as we go through the winter. That's when racing season will kind of go on hiatus until about mid-June. I'm sorry, mid-June. Yeah, right. Mid-January. When a lot of people are going to be running the Houston half uh, in between basically Thanksgiving and Houston, we're going to kind of spread it out a little bit, have some uh, some more interesting guests in terms of people who can provide insight, just like Carrie, into the running world in general, not only people who will be potentially running in Atlanta. So thank you to everybody for listening, rating, sharing, and reviewing the show. It means so much to me. I really appreciate it. Have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from In Post Media. Also, thank you to MetaP for the music and his song, Evolution. Never retreat, they stand
1: their feet,
0: me reach, I ain't settling cheap, Person is deep, I'm a real person, real version.